Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and a special shout out and thank you to Newsstand Studio at One Rock Center for sponsoring and producing my podcast. I am so very grateful for y'all. You can follow along on Instagram at Rockefeller Center or on Twitter at Rock Center NYC. Thanks guys so much for your support. All right. So I was on Instagram scrolling away like you, like you do. And I saw a meme that my friend posted and it said, I didn't realize 2020 was going to be a trilogy. And I saw that and instantly was like, okay, that is funny. But said, nope, uh-uh, not me. Like, I am not signing up for that. Last year, it was like, oh, 2021, like finally breakthrough after COVID. And then it was hard again. And then I remember even As we ended 2019, people were like, oh, 2019, such a hard year, ready for 2020 and then 2020 being hard. And when I saw that meme the other day, I wondered, is this just how we always feel or are we just in a season of years that has been really hard? And also, what are we on the evidence hunt for? Like, what are we looking for in our lives? If I am committed to to 2020 being a trilogy and 2022 being a part of that trilogy, then anything that does or doesn't happen becomes evidence for this year being sucky. And so before even 2022 began, I was just thinking for myself personally how the last few years have been so freaking hard, like for a lot of us. And I was remembering... Listen, I don't know all the details about it, but I do know in the Old Testament with the Hebrew people, they would have this year of jubilee. And it was, again, don't know all the details, probably should have looked it up, fact check me. But it would be after years and years of working and debt and hardship. And then there would be this one year and it was called the year of jubilee. And it reset everything. So if you had debts, they were paid. If you owed anyone anything, you were released from that commitment. It was a year of reset, a year of reestablishment, a year of celebration. 
as I was closing out 2021, I thought, you know what? I'm ready for the freaking year of Jubilee. So that's what I'm going to be expectant for in 2022. I'm going to be on the evidence hunt of this being a year of celebration. So when I see that oh, I didn't realize 2020 was going to be a trilogy. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, not today, Satan. You can go ahead and get behind me because I, in 2022, am on the evidence hunt of breakthrough. I'm on the evidence hunt of this being a year of lost dreams coming back to life. I am on the evidence hunt that 2022 is going to be a year of fruition, a year of love, a year of hope that seems deferred to be alive and well and coming to life. That is what I am looking for, okay? That's what I'm expectant for. What are you expecting for? Now, as as that is my big, you know, big thing that I'm just kind of speaking over my life and your life, our lives, what does that look like practically? Well, I've been trying to clean up my life. I've been trying to clean up my business because if I want to be ready for a year of celebration, I need to clean house and be ready for the party. So I was shredding a crap ton of old papers last week, specifically old tax documents. I texted my accountant and was like, do I need my tax return from 2007? And he was like, no. So I was going through getting rid of old tax documents that I didn't need anymore, or now they're online. And I came across my tax return from 2012, so 10 years ago, a decade ago, the year I started my photography business, and I saw this fat, bold number on that piece of paper. My gross income in 2012 was $4,300. Let that sit in. I made $4,300 in one year. Now, granted, I have business expenses and stuff, so that probably, that definitely came into making that number smaller. But in one year, I made $4,300. I was, gosh, five years out of college at that point, four years out of college at that point, and I was well below the poverty line living in Orange County, California, one of the most expensive cities in America. And it was this moment where I paused as I was sitting in my kitchen of the condo in Austin, Texas that I now own, an investment property that I was able to make that I never thought I was going to be able to make. I never thought I was going to be able to buy a property because 10 years ago, I made less than $5,000 in one year. And I had this moment where I stopped and was like, wow, 2021 has been the most financially successful year of my life. I, I signed a a two-book, six-figure book deal in 2020 or 2019. I have two successful businesses. Wow, like, look where I have come from. Like, look what God has done. And I think if we want to celebrate, if we want to be on the evidence hunt of what's possible, we also need to pause and look back at our life and remember where we came from. It's important to remember not only what God has done, but how I have co-created and helped create the reality that I am in. And it's also important to share our breakthroughs because first of all, it shifts something in my heart. So I posted that tax return on 
Instagram and you went crazy about it. You guys were like, oh my gosh, like how did you go from making that to like being where you are today? And sharing on Instagram about it stirred my heart into gratitude. And gratitude shifts atmospheres. And it literally, I think it opens up the heavens for blessing in our lives. It also shifts my heart into possibility. Oh my gosh, 10 years ago, when I was making less than $5,000 a year, I never, ever, ever would have thought it was possible to be where I'm at today. This year in 2022, my goal is to save around $100,000. Like, what the heck? Now, I might not get that I might not make that goal, but even the reality that that is a goal that I have when for so long it was, please, dear God, let me just survive this month. Let me just make enough money so that I can make my freaking rent. So I want to share my story with you because it stirs gratitude in my heart, and I hope it stirs gratitude and possibility in your heart and activates you to remember where you came from. And maybe you're at the place where you're like, listen, I am, I'm in the place where I'm making $5,000. I'm making pennies. I need the breakthrough. Well, if breakthrough is possible for me, it's possible for you. Now, I've never really shared my career journey on the Refined Collective or really the Refined Woman probably because I thought you wouldn't care and maybe even more so because I don't have a formula. Like everyone has this quick get rich quick formula or this magic hack to overnight success or sign up for this masterclass or do this mastermind or hire this coach or hire or take this online course. And listen, I am all for that stuff. I've done almost all of those things. And a lot of those things have been very, very powerful. If you listened to my episode last week where I recorded one of my coaching sessions with my coach, you know that I I think it's totally worth having a coach in our lives. But here's the thing. Nothing that I've ever learned has given me this like quick hack to success and nothing about my life, my journey, my career has been overnight or something that has felt replicable. So I haven't wanted to share it with you because I'm like, well, I don't have the story where I'm like, I did this mastermind, I followed these four hacks and boom, I made a million dollars. Nope, (laughs) not at all. And I think also I haven't shared this story because I've been so close to it. I've been living it. I've been surviving it. I've been thriving it. And I honestly couldn't see how special it was and has been until I paused and looked at it myself. And sometimes it takes us pausing, zooming out, and really remembering before we can see the breakthrough and blessing that's already present in our lives. So for these next few episodes, as we jump into 2022, I'm sharing with you the story of how I went from making $7 a day, yeah, that is real, $7 a day, to signing a six-figure book deal. Now, again, there's like no magic formula. If you're wanting the how-to or the, the quick hacks, like I'm not your girl and this isn't your story. But if you're looking for a story of possibility, of unknown dreams made a reality, of open doors that no human can take credit for, then I have a little story for you. Here's part one, how it all started. First up, my journey with photography. Now, my big plan in life was to go to college, 
meet someone in college, get married as soon as I graduated, get that MRS degree, and start popping out babies. I didn't have career aspirations and and wasn't really ashamed of that. I just thought, I want to be a wife and mom. And that's not a bad dream, and it's not a small dream. It's just that's not how my life unfolded, and it's not what happened for me. I was pretty disappointed and devastated that I was single when I graduated college. Oh, if I could only look back and and tell myself, well, guess what? 15 years from now, you'll still be single. So since I felt like I had nothing else better to do, and I was super passionate about social justice and the nonprofit world, I accepted a job in Southern California interning at a nonprofit making $7 a day. Now, I grew up in Dallas, went to college in Dallas. My college was 20 minutes from home. I'm one of six kids. I'm super close with my family, never had really been far away from home. And two weeks after I graduated college, I got on that airplane, landed in San Diego, and gosh, little did I know that those next four months at Invisible Children would radically transform my life and transform the trajectory of where I was headed. Now, here's the thing about the nonprofit I was working for is we did a lot of advocacy work and we're a media-based nonprofit. And so we basically booked showings all over the United States and split up into teams and lived out of a 15-passenger van stocked full of merch and movies and a lot of blind passion and lived out of our van or slept in people's college dorms or on closet floors and shared this message that we really, really believed in. And since it was a creative nonprofit with these beautiful short films, it attracted a lot of a lot of artists. And when we were in San Diego before we went on the road, I lived in an intern house with 50 people. Like I'm talking five, six, seven bunk beds in a room. And like literally we're living on pennies. How we got our breakfast, lunch, and dinners were by going to Starbucks and asking for the day-old pastries that they could give away to us for free. And I'm surrounded by all these creative people. And I was like, man, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm not creative. Films and photography had always inspired me, but I was an athlete my whole life. And I played on a Fulbright scholarship in college. And I just allowed myself to be put in this box of athlete. And I'll never forget one day during training, the founder of the organization, Jason Russell, he sat us down. And man, I swear, this guy is one of the most inspiring guys and has such this like pastor's heart and kind, gentle heart. And he said, you know what? We're all creative. And I'm like, I'm not buying this. This guy's lying. And he says, here's the reason why. God exhaled creation into existence. And then God breathed life into humanity. And God said that humans reflect the God image, that we're like God, and that we're also very good. And so because of that, because we have this like God image, this God spark pulsing through our veins, if God is the ultimate creator, then we too are creative. 
It's just tapping into that thing that sparks us, that lights us up and committing to the craft, whatever that is. Accounting can be art. Photography can be art. Filmmaking can be art. Teaching can be art. Whatever it is that lights you up, get really good at your craft. Put in the time, put in those 10,000 hours, and then use it for good. And that was a pillar moment for me because it had never occurred to me that I too could be creative. And so that season not only opened my eyes to social justice and the idea that I could be a part of of redemption or restoration in our world and in our culture and that I could use my voice for good, but it also woke up this idea in me that I could be creative. And then I started being curious about what lights me up. And it was always photography. I was always looking at photos and always wanting to take pictures, even though I didn't even own a nice camera or anything. I just, it lit me up. So I thought, man, it'd be really cool one day if I could be a photographer, but how could that even happen? I'm making $7 a day. I am broke, broke, broke. And so I, I kind of had it there, there and I, I let that dream kind of die or I didn't pay any attention to it. Well, the internship ended and when it did, I was lost in so many senses of that word. I was in a faith crisis. I had just witnessed how much pain and injustice was going on in different parts of the world and thought, man, God might be real, but I don't know if God is good. So having a complete deconstruction of my faith before deconstruction was a thing. And also, I really wanted to work for the company I had interned for, but there were no job openings. So I had to go back home. I had to go back home to Dallas. And I felt like I was going home with my tail in between my legs. I had had this wildly transformative experience. And I was back to odd jobs trying to make ends meet. And every day I was applying for nonprofit jobs everywhere from LA to DC. I thought, man, if I can just get a nonprofit job, if I can just get a job at another company, like it'll get me out of Dallas. It'll get me back into the space that I want to be in. So I applied for jobs every single day. And in that meantime, I was working all these weird, odd jobs. And one of those was I got hired by one of our neighbors who was this big wig local wedding planner to be a runner for her for this crazy, like, four-day, $10 million wedding. Now, people don't believe me when I tell this part of the story, but I am serious. Like, this is real. This is not an exaggeration. This was a $10 million wedding. Willie Nelson played a live concert at the welcome party. And this was before Amazon was a thing and before we could really ship things. So one of my jobs was to drive to every single Best Buy in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and buy every single Willie Nelson CD that I could get my hands on to give in the welcome baskets for all of the guests. Also, at the wedding reception, the plates, like the this plate setting for each guest was worth $60,000. Like, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if I could just like steal a fork, I could literally pay off my college debt. This is the type of wedding I was assisting at. I'm like, I literally came from making $7 a day. This money feels gross to me. I was bitter that I was there. 
And on the night of the wedding, it's probably 2 a.m., I'm sitting down for a vendor meal, and I just so happened to sit next to the photographer, Mike, who was shooting the wedding. And we started talking, and instantly he's, like, talking about his family and his wife and his faith and how much God has opened up all these doors for him. And I honestly was super encouraged by the conversation with him. I thought, wow, this guy is clearly really good at what he does. He got flown in from Los Angeles to shoot this big fancy wedding. He's a man of faith and uses his work for good to build relationships with people. And so I got his business card that night, and I remember going home. It was probably like 4 a.m. I glued his business card into my journal, and I remember writing down something like, man, thank you, God, for showing me a picture of possibility of what it looks like to be connected to your faith and be connected to your spirituality and be using your gifts for good. And I tucked that away and went about my life. And that fall, I landed a job at a nonprofit based out of Newport Beach, California. And it paid a whole $25,000 a year, which from making $7 a day, I was like, oh, 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 I'm about to buy a Lexus, y'all. I thought I was going to be rolling in gold. And I honestly was so desperate to get out of Dallas, get back on the West Coast to be with all my new friends that I had worked at Invisible Children with. I was like, this is my ticket out of Dodge, and I am taking it. So I didn't really think a lot about it. I didn't ask a lot of questions about the position or the company. I honestly didn't even really pray about it. And I remember the day I moved to California, and as my plane was landing at LAX, looking out the window and thinking, wow, I did not really think twice about this. I didn't even pray about this. And I have this giant feeling or premonition that this is about to be a really big life lesson. And it was. Little did I know that I was the only employee. My boss lived in Singapore, and his parents paid my salary. I was barely out of college with like hardly any experience and given the task to do grant writing, meet with potential donors, and create, hire, and run an intern program in East Africa. Like when I say I was completely in over my head and had zero support, I mean, I was literally all alone in an office in Newport Beach, California, working 40 hours a week by myself and had an overseas boss with his head in the freaking clouds. I was miserable. And so during that time, I'm, you know, I'm miserable. I'm constantly complaining to my friends about my crazy boss. And then this memory of, oh, photography, this idea that, oh, I I really love photography, but I'm just feeling sorry for myself because I have no one to mentor me. I don't even know how to take a picture, and I'm never going to be able to do this dream. And one of my best friends got on the phone with me one day as I was just complaining and miserable, and she said, you know what, Kat? You need to shit or get off the pot. You either pursue photography or stop complaining about it because I'm tired of hearing about it. And what I realized is that when we complain— A complaint reveals a longing or desire or a vision yet to be attained. We complain because our reality isn't where we want it to be. And we have two choices. We can either be a victim to that complaint or we can use it as ammunition to step into our vision, step into our dreams. And my friend was right. I needed to stop complaining. 
So I remembered, oh my gosh, didn't I meet that photographer at that wedding last year? And I think he's even based in Los Angeles. I find my old journal, tear it open, find his business card glued to my journal. Not only did he live in LA, he lived in Newport Beach, like a couple minutes from where I was living and working. So I called him up, his assistant answered the phone, and I said, I would like an interview because I would like to work for you full time. For some reason, they said yes, and I found myself a week later driving up to his big, fancy Newport Coast home that was in the same neighborhood as Kobe Bryant. I was like, dude, I did not know photographers made so much money. So I'm sitting in his backyard overlooking Newport Beach, California, and just telling him, hey, I would love to work for you. I have no experience in the photography world. In fact, I don't even know how to turn on a camera, but I will hustle. I will learn. I will do whatever it takes. And he said, great. Well, why don't you take an unpaid internship with me and we'll see how it goes? And I just looked him in the eyes and was like, dude, listen, I'm sorry. That's not going to work for me. I made $7 a day last year at an internship. And my family already thinks I'm crazy because I did that. And now I'm making $25,000 working for a nonprofit. I can't work for free. I, I just can't. And so thank you so much for meeting me. Best to you and all your endeavors. And, and I'll see you around. And that was kind of that. And after that, I ended up quitting the job at that nonprofit. I moved to San Diego where all my friends were living at the time. And I took a nannying job all summer making $600 a month. And I was nannying these crazy people. But I was living in a house with all my best friends. We were all broke. And you know when you like hear it, you're like, you don't know when it's the glory days. And if you knew it was the glory days, then you would have like lived it up a little a little bit more full. Well, I didn't know that that was the glory days, but we lived it up that summer. I mean, we were broke. We would go to Trader Joe's and get two buck chuck wine. And we were we would just talk and hang and go to the beach. It was one of the best summers of my life and the most broke I have ever been. So money does not buy happiness. I also, since I was so broke, had no car. So I got around town by biking or borrowing a friend's car. Well, I get this call at the end of the summer from Mike. I'm in my mid-30s, single, and want to have kids one day. If you're in my Patreon community and watched my video about my fertility journey, you know that I recently tested my fertility levels because I want to be proactive now to know what my options can be in the future. Because you don't show up to a marathon race without having been diligent in your training, right? So if you're a woman and think you might be interested in having kids one day, it's time today to take ownership over your fertility so you can know all of your options. Modern Fertility makes it easy and affordable to test your fertility hormones right at home with a simple finger prick. You mail it in with a prepaid label and get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, aka how many eggs you have compared to other women your age, and other important fertility factors. You can also talk one-on-one -on -one with a fertility nurse to review your results and your options for next steps. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. 
That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds and even thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash refined. Spending hours trying to find the right doctor for you can be exhausting and stressful and overwhelming to say the least. And then after going through that process to find out that the doctor you found doesn't take your insurance, it literally makes me want to throw my phone out the door. And almost enough to make me want to give up on trying to even find a doctor. But thankfully, there's an easy solution now. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. It's as easy as selecting a doctor and choosing an in-person or video visit based on your needs and your schedule. And boom, you're set. No more, I'll make that appointment sometime later. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I am one of them, and you should be too. It has completely changed the way I experience scheduling doctor's appointments, aka it has removed the stress and the frustration and overwhelm. Go to ZocDoc.com slash cat and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are even available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash K-A-T. ZocDoc dot com slash cat. Out of the blue, I hear from him and he says, hey, I don't know if you're still looking for a job, but my wife and I have been praying and we feel like we're supposed to hire you full time. I'll pay you $13 an hour. And if you're open to it, you can start in two weeks. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I will be there two weeks from now. And first thing I had to figure out was like how to get a car. Did not have a car. I think I had like $3,000 to my name. And I had my friend, the same friend who was like, girl, you either like need to pursue photography or be quiet about it. I literally had her drop me off at a Honda dealership. And I was like, I will see you tonight when I have a car. And I somehow talked the Honda dealership into giving me a Honda Fit with hardly any money down, zero credit. And two weeks later, I moved to Newport Beach, California to start working for this big fancy photographer. So on my first day of work, I think that he had thought maybe I was being a little humble about my photography knowledge. And he had just shot the wedding of a magazine editor and opened it up for me to start editing. And I just looked blank at the screen and I was like, dude, like I told you I was not being humble. I do not know how to turn on a camera. I do not know how to edit anything. So for the next few weeks, he taught me how to edit images. He taught me how to cull images. He taught me what to look for, how to determine whether an image was sharp or not. And Within a few weeks, I had edited this magazine editor's wedding, and then the next wedding after that, I was editing Timbaland's wedding, which, yeah, like Timbaland, Justin Timberlake, like, you know the artist, right? And then shortly after that, I was editing and designing Usher's wedding album, and all the meanwhile, I'm like, what the heck? Like, how did I even get here? Like, what is happening? And pretty immediately when I started working for this guy, I started getting emails every single day from photographers all over the world saying, I love your work so much, Mike. I 
you are so amazing. You are the best. Can I pay you thousands of dollars just to spend the day with you and carry your bags and learn from you? I like, I will do whatever it takes. I look up to you so much. Can you mentor me? And, or like people emailing, I will work for you for free. I will intern for you for free. And I'm sitting there thinking like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, who is this guy that is shooting Usher's wedding and giving me a chance? Like, what the heck? And I honestly think, well, first of all, I think it was a total God thing, but I also think he was impressed that I wasn't impressed with him. And I was also really moldable because I didn't know anything. So he taught me everything he knew. And I went all in. I was working weekdays for him. I was assisting him whenever he had shoots. But his rate was so high, like I think his rate was like $50,000 a day, that he didn't get shoots every day. So maybe like once a month or every other month we were shooting and I was just asking questions. He was teaching me everything. And then I reached out to any and every photographer in San Diego, Orange County, and LA and offered to assist them on the weekends for weddings that they were shooting. And here's the deal. I was like, listen, I'm never going to know if I'm good at photography or if this could ever be a reality for me if I don't just get super committed to the craft and if I don't go all in. If I go all in and I don't like it, then at least I'll know like this isn't for me. But I could also go all in and realize I'm really good at this. And turns out I had a knack for photography and I was good at it and I am good at it. And so I think it was like about a year in, I was shooting a wedding with Mike and I remember there was like one photo that we could use to, to send to the clients that I had sent. But it just kept getting better and better. And a few years in, he started booking me on smaller jobs that weren't a part of his budget. Now by smaller jobs, I'm telling you that his day rate was $50,000 a day. And so he was starting to book me out at $7,500 a day or $10,000 a day when most photographers or most wedding photographers, when they start their businesses, are like, I'll shoot your wedding for $500. Or I'll shoot your wedding for $1,500. My first wedding, I'm pretty sure I made like $8,000. And so I jumped right in. And then I also realized, oh, I also kind of have a knack for PR. He had all these amazing shoots that were just sitting in his archives. And so I started Googling, what's the editor of this magazine? What's the editor of this big blog? And I started pitching all of his shoots to be published. And so his work was being published all over the place. And his work spoke for itself, but he just needed someone to be pitching it. And I was good at that. And then he did all these workshops and courses for other photographers and would have these photo shoots so people could build their portfolio. And I thought, why don't we like take these shoots to the next level? So he would give me like 250 bucks and I would somehow pull together a team and put on like a 10, 20, $50,000 photo shoot for $250. And I realized I'm resourceful. Like I can make things a win-win for people and I can produce really successful workshops and direct and art direct and do creative direction for photo shoots. I didn't know I had that in me. And then from there, you know, I'm getting better and better. I'm getting more confident. I'm seeing I have a knack for this stuff. Every season, my boss would shoot runway in New York. And he would never take me, A, because I had no idea how to shoot, but also because people would, friends of his would fly out with him and it wouldn't cost him anything for them to assist him because they were friends or just wanted his mentorship. And finally, I begged and begged for him to let me go. And he said, okay, 
You can come to Fashion Week with me, but you have to pay your own way and you have to teach yourself how to shoot it. And so I was like, deal, I'll do it. And I remember my first trip to New York City was to shoot for Fashion Week. And I will never forget that first runway show that I ever shot. I mean, the photographer's pit is freaking nuts. And at that particular show, I was one of two women in the pit. So it's like gross locker room talk, a bunch of old men that have been shooting runway for 30 years. And here I am like 25, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I had like red lipstick on and high heels and was trying to be way too cool for being in the photographer's pit. And I squished in between the legs of this old, gross, crusty guy because that was the only spot I could get shot the first runway show, and I bombed it. Like, I did so bad, nothing was usable. And afterwards, as I'm packing up, I'm feeling super defeated. The only other woman in the photographer's pit came up to me and pulled me aside and said, hey, you're new. I can tell your timing's off. You want to take a picture of the model as her right foot is touching the ground. So look for the timing of the foot. And... I got to the next show and it helped tremendously. And to this day, I'm so grateful that she took note of me. And I want to do that. I want to do that with other photographers as well. It like it honestly like saved me. So I left that first fashion week honestly feeling defeated for a lot of reasons. I was exhausted, but I felt alive. I was like, oh my gosh, New York City is amazing and sexy and lights, camera, action, and Shooting runway was so intoxicating to me. And from there, I just got more and more, more and more into the world and more and more into fashion. I wanted to do editorial photography more and more. And about three years into shooting for Mike and working for him, we got an opportunity to shoot this editorial campaign for a jewelry company. And their budget for the whole entire shoot was $700. Clearly, that's way too low of a budget for my boss. And I was like, well, I'll take it because I just want to learn. And it was in New York City. I think I spent half of what I made on the shoot flying out to New York and Googling the night before the photo shoot. How do you use studio lighting? Because I did not know how to use studio lighting. And I was afraid that I was going to blow up the whole studio. Well, the shoot came and went and... Not only did it go well, it went really well. It actually ended up getting picked up by a magazine and became the cover shoot for like one of the winter. Um, It became a cover shoot for this magazine. It ran on two national campaigns and it opened up so many other opportunities for me, but it also showed me, man, I can actually do this. And I had always felt really loyal to my boss because I wouldn't have had any of these opportunities if it hadn't been for him. But the more I shot, the more I realized, I want to, I think I want to do this on my own. And I'm, I was definitely a little cocky and a little overconfident in myself. But in 2012, with his blessing, I left working for Mike and I started my own business. And I was like, I'm going to be so amazing because I'm already making 10K a day working for this photographer. Everyone in the industry already knows me because I'm associated with him. Well, I was making as much as I did because I was associated with him. And those first years of running my business were a freaking joke. 
I like I said, 2012, I started my own business and that was the year I brought in $4,300. Not only could I not book a $10,000 wedding, I could hardly book a portrait session for free. I mean, I was like begging people to let me shoot for them. You talk about being hit with some humble pie. Well, the fall of 2012, I went to New York Fashion Week. I wasn't hired by any magazine or any publication, but I had been shooting runway for a lot of seasons at that point because of my old job. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sneak in because if you're confident and you act like you belong there, a lot of doors open to you. So I did that. And I snuck into all the fashion shows that season. I would shoot, 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 shoot. And then I would do a ton of street style outside of Lincoln Center. And I would go back to the apartment I was staying at. And I would Google the names of magazine editors or of big fancy bloggers that I was shooting. And I would email them all the photos and say, hey, here are photos I shot for you this fashion week. If you ever want to work together, here's my website, here's my number. And I can't tell you how many jobs I ended up getting years down the road because of those first few seasons on my own, sneaking into Fashion Week and just being willing to hustle. And here's what I'll say about New York City. New York City is like being at the right place at the right time all the time if you're open to it. So in 2013, I finally made the move from LA to New York City to pursue my editorial and fashion dreams. And I I definitely made more money in 2013 than 2012, but also I moved to a way more expensive city. I think I made $13,000 to $15,000 that first year in 2013 in New York. I shared a bedroom with a friend in a rat-infested Brooklyn apartment, and To be frank, the only way I made it through that first year was by second shooting weddings and editing for this big wig photographer in New York City. I was so humbled. I was so miserable because I was like, oh my gosh, I've taken 10 steps backwards. Here I... Here I quit this other job with this other guy two years ago because I'm this big fancy person who wants to make it in the big fancy city. And here I am in the same position I was just to make my rent. But I did what I had to do, and I networked, and I walked into hotels, and I walked into stores and showed people my images and said, hey, let's do a shoot together. I became a member at Soho House, which is this exclusive sort of like we work for artists, and I paid this ridiculous membership to this exclusive club to wine and dine luxury wedding clients because I had also raised my rates to $10,000. I thought, you know what? Maybe if you build it, they will come. And you know what? They did. It took a year or two, but I was treating clients to drinks at this overpriced private membership club that I couldn't even afford. And I remember inwardly freaking out as I would like put my debit card down to pay for drinks thinking first, dear God, please don't let this card payment be declined. And my other thought was, oh my gosh, if they don't book me, I am screwed because I just spent more on drinks than my entire monthly budget for food. So that was sort of my life for a few years in New York, like kind of fake it till you make it. And it worked. Over the next few years, jobs started coming in. I started shooting in-house for the designer Carolina Herrera, which was probably to this day the biggest client I've ever had. It wasn't really because of anything that I did like to 
Like, I couldn't have knocked on Carolina Herrera's door to get this job, but there was a girl in my small group at Hillsong that worked for Carolina Herrera and got me the job. And pretty soon, I started seeing my work appearing in Vanity Fair, GQ Magazine, Women's Wear Daily, Glamour, just kind of all over the place. And it was freaking awesome. Like, I was landing dream clients. I was working with J. Crew, Madewell, like all these clients that I'd always dreamed about. But I found out there's a reason people talk about the quote-unquote starving artists. All these sexy fashion editorial jobs literally paid pennies. And even though I was getting more jobs and I was no longer having to assist other photographers like I was, I was so tired of making pennies. So I ended up booking this wedding and this girl, Emily and Patrick, and I can actually link it, link their uh, wedding blog in my, um, or their wedding pictures in the notes if you want to see them. But she couldn't really afford my full rate, but she was like, listen, I work for this venue and because I work for this venue, all these great vendors are coming in and it's going to be a killer wedding. It's going to be published. And so if you can give me a break on your price, like I promise good things from it. And I really liked her and thought she was cool and needed the work anyway. So I said, yes. Well, the wedding ended up being published and I got connected with this guy, Frank Alexander, who is one of the premier sort of production houses in New York City who produces weddings, big fancy events, all that stuff. And he loved my images so much that he started saying like, hey, on weekends where you don't have a wedding booked or you're not shooting, why don't you come to the plaza or wherever his wedding was that weekend and shoot the reception area before all the guests come in? Because if you know anything about wedding photography, it's you have to be in a thousand places at once. And if there's like one thing that falls off the bandwagon, if timeline goes crazy is reception shots. But when you've hired a production company like Frank to spend like $300,000 on your reception, like that producer wants those images. So he was like, listen, I'll pay you 500 bucks if you come in on Saturday nights from like 10 to 11 p.m. and shoot these shots. So I started doing that. And he, I worked I, you know, worked for him for a year or two. And then finally, one day he was like, hey, I have this event that I work that it's it's a client that I've worked with for years. The events, you know, they're not super sexy, but they're consistent. And if they like you, they'll hire you forever. But they're probably going to be the pickiest client that you ever have. And if you don't show up with your A-game, like you're going to be like cast out with the dogs. And so I was like, okay, whatever, I'll take it. Well, the job happened to be at Rockefeller. And it was a marketing event for real estate brokers or something. And I remember shooting the event and thinking like, am I being punked? Like, is Ashton Kutcher just around the block? Like, this is, to me, I could shoot the event in my sleep. Not to just pat myself on the back or anything, but at that point I had been shooting for years and I'd shot so many events and I knew how to do that. And so I ended up submitting the images. They loved them. And so Rockefeller started hiring me on a consistent basis. And I was shooting for them, you know, pretty, maybe like once or twice a month. And I think it was like 2018. And then at the end of 2018, they were like, we really want to work with you more. And I thought, what if I pitched them 
what if I pitched them pitched them like a retainer? And I'd never done anything like that before. And I was terrified because I I was always terrified of doing something on retainer because I was like, well, if, if if the retainer says like seven hours, what if it ends up being like 15 hours? Then am I just screwed out of money? Like that would really suck. Either way, I'd never done it before. And so I ended up pitching Rockefeller like $45,000 for a year, a year's contract. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I could make $45,000 in one year, I will be so rich. <laughs> and they turned it down. And they said, we still want to work with you, but we're not going to, we're not going to pay you this contract. And so a couple months go by, they came back to me and said, you know what? We actually are going to take you up on it. Let's do this. And my caveat with the retainer was if we go overtime, I want an overtime check at the end of the year. And they said, okay. So I started shooting for Rockefeller. And for the first time in my entire career, well, I'll say for the first time since I had worked for Mike, I had a consistent paycheck. And I knew every month I was getting at least like, what was it, like $3,500 or $4,000 a month. And to have that consistent income was the biggest relief. Like I, I, I can't, I mean, I feel like you only really understand if you've been that entrepreneur and been on that hustle, but the stress of not knowing where your rent's going to come that next month and knowing every month is a new month where you're having to completely put yourself out there from ground zero again, to not have that radically changed my life. And so I ended that first year and it went really well. And so they hired me again. Well, it's 2022 and I just signed on for my fourth year shooting for Rockefeller. And my rate for them has gone up quite significantly. And because the rate has gone up so much, I now only need to take on five weddings a year or I... I only take on weddings because I still like shooting them. And if it's an awesome client and an awesome couple, then I'll shoot it. And to even be in that place where I can say no to clients just because I don't want to do it or I don't have to like hustle or pound the pavement because I have this awesome, basically salaried job that allows me to say no to things and say yes to the things that really light me up. It's why I've been able to do The Refined Woman for so long because I've been my own financial investor into The Refined Woman because my photography business has gone from making $4,300 to being a six-figure business in the last 10 years. I'm so excited about that. I'm so proud of that. And then I have other clients that have been such a blessing to me too. I have this huge client. Her name is Amy Porterfield. If you know anything about online courses, Amy Porterfield is like the guru, the goddess of like all online marketing, online courses. And I shoot for her on a yearly basis. And it's honestly something that I I can't even take credit for. Like when I worked for Mike now, what was that? 10 or 13, almost 15 years ago, there was this new photographer called Jasmine Starr. And you might recognize her name. She's been on my podcast a few times. She's like a huge business mogul woman. But I met her when I was working for Mike. And then when I went off on my own, I produced a few of her workshops. And then she was friends with Amy. Amy needed a photographer. And she referred me to Amy. And now I shoot yearly for her. And being connected to Amy has opened up so many other doors. And I share all this not to brag or say, oh my gosh, look at me. Let me pat my own back uh, or let me pat my own shoulder. But because 
I, I, I couldn't have pounded on Rockefeller's door to get this position. Like, it didn't exist. I couldn't have cold emailed Amy enough to get the position shooting with her on a yearly basis. But I was in the business of saying yes. And I was committed to showing up. I was committed to working hard. I was committed to getting really good at my craft and constantly humbling myself and even taking jobs where that I thought I was better than. And if there's anything I learned from Mike, I remember years ago, we were shooting this, you know, multi-million dollar wedding and I had my panties all up in a wad because they wanted me to take out the trash. And he looked at me and he was like, we are in the service industry. Like, we are here to serve. We're going to be the first ones here to serve and the last ones to leave to serve. If if the trash needs to be taken out, you take it out. You're not better than anyone or anything. Like, we're here to be humble and serve. And I take that with me because I'm not too good for any job. You're not too good for anything. And humbling yourself will only take you to new heights. And here's the thing is that Like I said, I couldn't have pounded these doors open. I think because I was committed to excellence, when the doors opened, I was ready for it. I think we can miss the blessing sometimes because we haven't prepared. We're like, I want to run a marathon, and then the marathon date is there, and we can't run it because we didn't train. We beg for breakthrough, but we're not putting in the legwork. So the door is open and we can't even see it or we can't even step through it because we don't have the strength or the discipline. Sometimes opportunities just fall in your lap, but I think they often come upon us after we've been diligent, steadfast, and disciplined for a long period of time. I can't tell you 10 steps to make a six-figure photography business. There's no hack. There's no shortcut. Again, nothing about my business or my life has been overnight, but I can share with you my story. My dream was to graduate college, get married, and be a stay-at-home mom who led Bible studies sometimes every now and then. That wasn't a bad or small dream. It just wasn't the dream God had for me. I think we can get so stuck on how we thought life should work out for us that we miss out on the unexpected and the magic is in the unexpected. I never planned to be a photographer. I just kept saying yes. I just kept being led by curiosity and possibility while being committed out of my mind to being excellent at everything that I was doing and being committed out of my mind to the possibility that Ephesians 2 is actually true, that God could do abundantly more than I could ever hope or dream. So if you feel light years away from your dreams, welcome to the club. You're in good company. If you're broke and hardly making it, I'm here to tell you, it won't always be that way. If you don't know what to do, what you want to do, what step to take, just say yes to something. There is no right or wrong. Even me taking that job at the nonprofit where I was like, this is going to be a big learning lesson. I don't regret it because everything led, every yes, every no, every fumble, every failure, every mistake led me to where I am today. You may never know where that yes or where that no will lead you. And the no's are just as important. I never would have known I didn't want to do editorial if I hadn't gone all the way in. Honestly, there's way more I could say here, but I'm going to leave it here for now. Next week, I'll continue the story with how I started a fashion blog, 
the refined woman that eventually led me down a road of landing a six-figure book deal with one of the top publishers in the world. If you want to hear that episode now, I'm doing a new thing on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash the refined collective and join for $5 and you can listen to next week's episode today, right now. And on top of that, have access to a ton of other Patreon exclusive content and VIP videos. So I hope you enjoy that. All right. Until next week. It has been a hot minute since I have said thank you to our Patreon community. I am so grateful for the Patreon community and for all of your support. We have some incredible new patrons in the community. So I just wanted to give them a special shout out and thank you. Thank you for believing in the mission. Thank you for being a part of the community. Thank you for attending my monthly group coaching calls and commenting on all my videos that are inside Patreon. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful for this little family on the interwebs that we're creating. So special shout out and thank you to Jason, Rachel, Gina, Brenda, Danica, Jennifer, Amanda, Diana, Kelsey, Casey, Brittany, Abby, and Adam. I'm so grateful you're a part of this community. This podcast would not be happening without you. If you want to learn more about how to be a part of our Patreon community, you can go to patreon.com slash The Refined Collective.